Hello everyone, this is episode 8. So we're in trying times uh, with the coronavirus uh, crisis right now and a lot of the jobs being shut down. It certainly has been a challenging um, and trying time for a lot of us. Uh, for us, SIF was canceled. Uh, it was one of our biggest film festivals that we have ever been involved in and um, that's certainly disappointing. But more important than that is other jobs are getting canceled for my colleagues and uh, that is their primary way of making a living, and that is scary for all of us. And hopefully we could rise above it and work on reinvention as well as some introspective thinking, as well as being grateful for uh, our friends and family and really kind of work to support each other and, and hopefully um, get through all of this. And I hope all of you are keeping healthy and appreciating what you got and uh just basically uh spend the time learning and uh it's a great time to to read or or just improve your craft by uh uh looking what's online or or uh a lot of the resources that we have as far as podcasts so today's guest is Roy Rasovich who is an FSF uh which is a ASC equivalent in Sweden I met Roy 3 years ago on set of the upcoming movie Batiba, which is in post-production, I believe there's already a, a trailer for it somewhere, uh, and was really impressed by his spirit of core and his ability to manage a set as a DP, and I certainly have used his uh, examples and, uh, and method of how he ran a set and how he's gracious in doing it. I was only on set for a couple of days and had a very minor role, but nonetheless, I still enjoyed working with him. So without further ado, here's Roy Rasevich. Yeah, so, I mean, I grew up in, I was born in Los Angeles, and I grew up in California for the most part, but I mean, really, I grew up in a family where I was had an American father and a Swedish mother, and we spent all our summers traveling to Sweden, and uh, all our winters and school years in Southern California, um, in a little town called Ojai, which is full of artsy people and filmmakers and actors and all that stuff and my dad was an actor so i mean really it started early because i was on set with him and um just being around you know equipment and crews and i don't know what anything wasn't when you're like five six seven years old it was all very fascinating interesting and all that um you know and then went through my high school years and a lot of art classes and you know did all the extracurricular art courses and stuff at school that i get my hands on metal shop graphic design uh, glass bead blowing, you know, whatever they had, I tried the most of it. But I think what happened was that the graphic design course really kind of got me going with Photoshop and got me interested in, in photography from that sense and manipulating pictures. So uh, from there, I just kind of, I got bored with school. And um, eventually I, I took my GED and I, I left high school in the 11th grade and I moved to Sweden by myself, uh, left my parents and family in, in America and went over there to pursue the arts. And uh, they have really nice, a lot of nice design schools and art schools in, in Sweden and Stockholm particularly that they're kind of known for and having already one foot in Sweden in the, that sense and the culture wise and the language. I decided it was time to do that. So um moved to Sweden when I was 17, spent the first years out in the middle of literally nowhere in an art school and um, just got my bearings and then to Stockholm to design school eventually. And there I found photography 
for real for the first time um, in in a darkroom course. And it was the last one they had before they pulled the lab out and shut it down. So it was that kind of like, I've been trying to, to paint and sculpt and everything was just a little bit too slow. I, like, I knew what I wanted and I wanted the results quicker. I didn't really have the patience for it then. And the photography really stuck. So, you know, fast forward like seven years of studying graphic design and art and traditional mediums and all that stuff. All of a sudden, I was printing business cards and marking myself as a photographer, even though I had no photography education more than playing in a dark room. But uh, I mean, it was definitely in, in the gene pool. My aunt was a photographer. My, gra- my grandfather, my mother's side was a photographer. And, um, it was just kind of, it was kind of just growing up around it and in it, and it just kind of naturally fell into my my lap somehow. But um, after I finished my studies there, I started assisting, and that's where I really started to learn, you know, the proper proper use of the equipment and how to go about it. So I did. I, I assisted other photographers in fashion and commercial stuff for about five or six years, and. It was kind of in that whole DSLR revolution time where cameras were like starting to all of a sudden, the, the first like good digital cameras were coming out for stills because before that they were pretty mediocre resolution and color and all that stuff. So that was like really starting to take off like right in the midst of all this that I was learning. And people started wanting little videos and, you know, they started shooting with the same cameras because it was all available and it was super cheap compared to everything else that had been before, but the quality was actually pretty good. So it was just kind of, it was just kind of natural that it became, and there was a lot of people that were afraid to kind of like, if they were still a photographer, they were afraid to shoot video because they didn't understand what they felt. And if they were video, they were afraid to shoot stills. So I just said, hey, whatever, I'm going to do both of them. And um, never looked back really because it's, it's been like the strength 15 years later now that I I can actually use both tools and I can use them both relatively well. So it becomes pretty convenient for the client to be like, well, we want matching stills and matching videos. So, all right, cool. We'll use this equipment then. But uh, it was interesting how far all the equipment kind of evolved. And it feels like it's maybe kind of peaked now a bit. And it's now it's just minor adjustments always. And then all the new evolutions of all the cameras coming out. But it's it interesting being in that main kind of, launch of all that stuff that was just rolling out because it was ha- everything was happening so quick and it was you saw all these huge leaps and bounds in the equipment it was really fun to read about it and test them and you know be along for all that what was the bleed over from uh fashion photography because i know that that's very interesting in what you're actually doing um when when you're filming on set uh did that any uh did any of that carry over well, you know, I think you you establish kind of like a, a reference point of what you think is appealing and in color and form and, and light and that type of stuff. So, I mean, it's it, it's hard to change. I think once you've you've found what you like and, and you can always adapt and stuff like that. But really, I mean, you're 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 getting hired most of the time because of an aesthetic that you bring, um, more so than equipment these days and stuff around it because a lot of people are looking for something special and I started when I was working with these the fashion stuff when I was assisting and I started shooting my own fashion stuff you know we started looking at a lot of books from photographers like 
everything from Bruce Weber to Terry Richardson. I mean, it's such a vast, there's such a vast history out there, so much different reference points, and it's, there's so many people that are just amazing at what they do. Um, you look at like uh, Tim Burton on the film side, or you look at Tim Walker on the film side. Um, and it's interesting to look at Tim Walker and Tim Burton. It's, it's two creators that have like a very interesting, similar idea behind what they do in two different mediums. Um, it's amazing to see them do projects together because I mean, Tim Walker's photography is the most amazing, like fantasy-filled building sets and using stuff. And then you see Tim Burton and his very dark aesthetic and fantasy and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's so much reference out there that it becomes hard to like stay in one lane because in the industry people really would like to like say okay well this is the person that shoots the black and white headshots who does it really amazing or she does it very amazingly and that's why we want to book that person but it's these it's also easy to get bored because it gets very niched and i feel that's always been kind of my my weakness is i haven't been niched enough in the industry so i I mean, I haven't always been the first contact of agencies or clients because they can't really pin down my exact look or style because I just, I like to try to keep it as interesting as possible and I keep changing it up, you know, whenever I get the chance. Well, there's so many references out there and it never ends. And um, what do you work on to, to distinguish yourself? I mean, it's, it's really hard being in, especially in the social media and this day and age where it's just like, you know, you'll you'll browse through a feed and you'll be like, okay, wow, everything this person is doing is amazing, or everything all of these people are doing is amazing. And then you'll feel, you know, like, wow, okay, I, there's no chance like I'm ever going to get to this level or get past this. But what we have to realize as well is that these people are just they're just posting their best project, and they've maybe been working on it for a really long time, and then they might not post anything for a really long time after that. <laughs> you know, so it's it's hard to like pull like a a reference there because it's it's like a constant like bombardment in these channels. But um it may be interesting to meet all the people that post all the stuff too because you know they're not they can't be all that productive at all times. But um you know, establishing yourself it's it's really just about not not giving up. It's really just, you have to like just keep working at it. And uh when I started out, uh when I was like kind of stopping the assisting part or while I was still assisting, you know, I, I started building a lot of my own projects and it'd be out of pocket and you'd go to a rental house and you'd rent some strobes and different light shapers. I, I've always used pro photo stuff. I like their, their flash heads and their modifiers and they're very easy to work with and stuff like that. So you know, you'd, I'd go to the rental house. I'd, you know, I'd spend a couple hundred bucks and rent new stuff every time to try out and, you call the agencies and you book models and you found a makeup artist that wanted to do something interesting and you'd find a stylist that wanted to you know, do some new stuff for their book and you'd sit and brainstorm and come up with something and then you'd shoot it and retouch it and you'd hope a magazine would take it and they never would because you know they have like a million people sending stuff to them every day so then you'd just put it on your website and then you started building the portfolio and I mean really that's, that's the only way to go about it is you have to start somewhere and you just have to keep doing it and keep building it all the time until you don't have time to do your own projects anymore all of a sudden. And then you're just doing commercial work and you've kind of arrived or landed or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, like you have no time doing your own projects. And then all of a sudden you have a different problem because then, you know, you don't really have the energy or the inspiration or the ideas 
to you know continue your own stuff because you're always dealing with the client's needs and I didn't you know solving problems for them and and building their products and their images instead so it's yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting industry that way because everyone wants to get to you know the high level but then once you get there then it's there's not much time for your own stuff when, when was that turning <laughs> point roy i mean was there that that break that you said oh man, you know maybe i'm on my way now yeah, I think it was about 2015. I uh, was selected as the Hasselblad Master for for fashion and um, fashion portrait. I guess it was the category, which went under the official year of 2016, but it, it happened a little bit earlier. And um, that was that was really big because um, you know it's a huge company uh, in the photo industry. It's like this amazing legacy and being kind of chosen to uh be one of one of their like photographers it was a huge honor and the, the uh the best part about it was they they basically say you know we're there's 10 of you 10 different photographers all in their own different you know categories there was an architect photographer and there was the portrait photographer and there's a commercial photographer and so on and i had the fashion part fashion commercial and uh so we want you guys to go out and shoot 30 pages for our coffee table book um and the uh the theme is create to inspire and that was the only lead words we had so uh i revisited my roots i went back to california to ojai the little town i grew up in and i did a, a 30 page fashion editorial uh that i planned with my colleagues and stylists and makeup team and stuff and the models and we basically just revisited influential places from my childhood like uh, the, my high school art class, uh, a special road that you know, was iconic for the town, or like the, uh, the Friday Night Lights under the the football, um, the football lights on the, the the pitch and stuff like that, and it built like this really, really personal story that was just a lot of fun, and that was kind of like really that was the last time I sat down and did a project for me. Um, just because it was, it was a bit cathartic and, um, I was kind of, it was a turning point in my career there as well, because I'd started going more into drama and filmmaking and a lot of motion commercial content and the stills had kind of slowed down quite a bit at that point. So it was really fun to kind of bring it all together, all my experiences and what I learned over the years and, and put it into one big project. And that's, um, that's in print and their books and always be there. So it's, it's really, it's awesome. And how did that dovetail into you, uh, uh obtaining an, an FSF accreditation? Yeah. So that was actually the same year. It all just kind of came together at the same time, which is, which is, uh, 2016 was, was an awesome year. I turned 30 that year. Um, all these things kind of happened at once. I had a, a big solo exhibition in Stockholm the uh, the Hasselblad book, the FSF. So I mean, I have colleagues in the FSF. The FSF is an invite. You have to be invited by other members within the group, and uh, you have to present a body of work, and you get judged and criticized and accepted or or not. And um, but they're a really good group of people, and it's it's been really fun to build relationships with other people that work in the film industry in, in Sweden since I wasn't brought up 
here per se. And in you know, the film industry, no matter where you are in the world, it's, it's very much who you know and the people you come up with. So it's if you move around, it's, it is hard to break into it no matter where you are because it's all about contact. And um, of course, you have to be good as well, but sometimes it's less about how good you are and who you know and that can where it gets you. Or maybe who knows you, more importantly, right? Right. Uh, exactly. I mean, so a lot of people who are my colleagues now in the FSF have gone to the film schools in Sweden or in Denmark or, you know, in the surrounding countries here. And they built their networks there and they've gone on to go do amazing projects. You know, we have like Hoyte van Hoytema, who um, is one of our in the ranks. He has a Swedish wife and he came to Sweden and he met the directors and you know, segued into Hollywood and we have Lina Sangren who just shot the latest Bond film and but uh, they've they've all gone to really good film schools and are known people, directors coming up in, the, in their age group and have been brought on to projects and I mean, it's really that's that's what it is. The film industry is all about family and um and having, you know, a great team to work with and and that's, I think that's one of the biggest differences when it comes to stills work and film work is I feel as a still photographer, you can do a lot more by yourself, uh, which makes it easier in one respect because you don't have to rely on huge crews and, you know, gaffers and focus pullers and to do all the magic. But at the same time, it can get lonely as well. Whereas when you're on a film set, there's all this stuff happening around you, which really brings the excitement level up and collaborating with all these other people to make the images. It's, it's, I, I like it. I like a lot being on set and being with, with the crews of people it's a lot of fun you're probably going to answer that your favorite uh there is no favorite with either one it just depends what 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 the project is yeah it's hard i mean it's like 2019 it was a lot of uh a lot of commercial film shoots and there was very little stills work that year um and then all of a sudden 2020 rolls around and there's only been still shoots so it's been you know a lot of days in the studio shooting products or went down to portugal to shoot a big spread for uh a big commercial client here that's going up in the airport here at Stockholm airport. And, um, you know, so it's very much just smaller teams. It'd be like me and an art director and a producer or me and an art director. Or So it's, it's still fun, but it's, it's definitely different than like going to, um, you know, my buddies in, in Columbus, Ohio and pulling together a, an indie feature and, you know, shooting uh, like 40 days with a, with a full team. I mean, that's, that's a whole different thing. You you live and breathe the work in a whole different way, and really you get involved, invested, and involved in it. It's, it's fun. But the stills body is is also very cool to have like all these different shoots, and you have a portfolio that builds. And I've traveled all over the world working and uh, taking pictures of all kinds, different kinds of things, like from fashion models in Cape Town to you know chainsaws in Siberia is the, the workload is so varied that that's what makes that part very interesting because you see so much it's also great that there's much more of a limit as far as your your time you know you're on the project and you're not there for months most of the time on a commercial right yeah I mean commercial since besides being a DP or and a photographer. I mean, uh, I also run a production company with my colleagues here in Stockholm, and we run a company called Happy Stamps, and we've been around about seven, going on about seven years now. And and you know, being or owning your own production company as well, you're you're with these projects for a little bit longer, 
than you would just being a, a freelance DT. You know, if I was a freelance DT, then it'd be like, okay, well, we're shooting this commercial, come in for these two days of prep and these two days of shooting, and then come back for the grade. Whereas now I'm very much involved in the storyboard and the design and, and building the project from start to finish and the entirety of the look. So I'm, I have a little bit different reference point than that, but it is definitely a much quicker industry and then much quicker turnarounds in the commercial world than it is in the drama, drama world. So you have input. In most in, of the dramas. Go ahead. Okay. No, I'm just saying, so you have no, input I mean, in story as well? Um, in the commercial stuff, not, well, yeah, sometimes, I mean, it, it depends. It depends how, um, how much has already been predetermined by the clients or another agency. Uh, if it's straight to us, then absolutely. Then I do have quite a bit of uh, back and forth with the director and the producer and, and stuff building you know, the, the image of the production and, and what's going to happen in there for sure. Can we uh, let's switch gears real quick? Are, do you find yourself technical, or are do you, do you know about <laughs> sensors and lenses and you know all, all the stuff that goes along with that? Uh, I was, I guess I am, um, but I definitely feel it started in, in a place where I thought that was super interesting and exciting, and I loved it, and it was you know all, it was awesome to always have the, the newest camera and the newest tool and the newest this and newest that. There's a lot on the test, but I feel the further along I've come and the more I've worked, it's become less and less important. Uh, I, I've started to like really appreciate other things like, um, like light and, you know, other tools around the camera more because I feel all the cameras now are, they've all reached a point where they're all really amazing. I mean, and everything from a black magic pocket, like 4K, say these days to, you know, Alexa, Alexa mini. I mean, all the cameras in between there are really good. There is very few bad cameras in the market these days. <laughs> so it's, it's become less important in a way. And I've also come to a point where I've, I've always owned a lot of my own cameras, and I've, I've kind of stopped with that as well because now it's just you take the cameras that's for the project. And a lot of times it's nice just to carry a light camera. I mean, the new Blackmagic 4Ks are amazing. You can have two full camera rigs in a backpack and, you know, walk out the door instead of having, you know, huge tripods and huge cases and heavy batteries. And it's, I mean, it's a thing working, a lot of commercial productions these days don't have the time or the budget to go with like a full crew and a full setup and like have two ton trucks of lights and grip and this and that. I mean, sometimes it's just me and another person on an airplane flying somewhere to get a, a picture of something. and. Being able to do that with a really lightweight setup, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it, it solves everything that was really hard to do just a couple of years ago. I, I'll, I want to circle back quickly to um, uh, why gear is not as important as everybody else thinks, especially with people just starting out. They feel that they need the latest and greatest, which is always tempting, and figuring out light's more important. Uh, but how are you judging exposure on uh, on set? <laughs> yeah, um, I like the histogram. I think the histogram is pretty pretty good as a good way to, to meter from. Um, if I'm in a more controlled environment, um, light meter is always great. When I started with the stills, especially in the fashion stuff, I was using a light meter for sure for all my strobe work and stuff because you can't really see where those lights are being directed or where they hit. 
always because they flash. So um, having a light meter was always very, very good. But I mean, monitor exposure these days as well. It's, it's you, you're, you're literally looking at what you're getting. So I usually feel pretty comfortable just going off the monitors and the cameras these days. But if you're trying to match stuff over multiple days and, and you have big setups and you're moving around a lot, then I mean, I, I try to, I'll try to put like those screenshots and stuff from dailies into my phone or an iPad or a computer that you have with, or if you're on set and you have a DIT, then you can have the luxury of looking back a little bit. But when it just comes to pure exposure, then yeah, histograms usually my go-to, I'd say. When you travel, is there a, not, is there a piece of gear you have to have? I always try to bring a, an extra monitor. If it's like a small HD 503 or the 703 or something like that, something that's versatile to any camera, you pop it on basically because it has all the inputs of like HDMI or FBI or whatever it is that you're connecting to. It's, just, it's always good to have an external monitor so you can you can place it on the camera because not all cameras have the best built-in monitor angle. I mean, if you look at like any of the uh, the smaller cameras or DSLRs or anything, if I could find the back of the camera and you could put the camera on the ground on a low shot and you can't see the monitor laying on the ground next to it, which is not always the best if you're like in two feet of snow somewhere in the mountains, right? So I'd say definitely an external monitor. Got it. Oh, that uh, that, that obviously sounds. And it's, it's, yeah. these days they be, they become so good as well. And and I've had the same five hundred three now for I think like six years or whatever it is. I, I bought it right when it came out, and it has it's gone back to repair once because I kind of wore out the SDI connector on it. <laughs> but otherwise, it's. I mean, it's been really fail-proof. It's been great. I just picked up the um, like clearance on the 703, so I added one of those to it as well. It's been awesome. I love them. Do you, um, uh, circling back to you talking about lighting and how important that is, how, how would you tell a, a starting cinematographer or people who are, who are now making these films, um, tell me what your uh, approach would be or how you would, uh, what your recommendation would be for some young filmmakers? Oh, that's tough. Um, you know, it's it's also about the content. I mean, you need to find content that motivates you. I mean, a job is a job, and a job will always be a job. So as long as you're working, it's great. Um, but if you have the chance to, uh, you know, pull a project together with friends or whatever to do your own dramas or music videos with artists that you think are cool, that are up and coming as well, just try, try as many different things as possible. And, I'd say try not to. It's really hard to not focus on gear because it is a limiting factor in the industry because things are expensive and you know you always want you always want something that's a little better than what you have maybe or but you look on you look on Vimeo and you look on YouTube look on Instagram these days and there's just like people are shooting amazing things with the iPhones too and especially these new ones with all the lenses on it's crazy there's there's so much potential and there's all these cheaper tools these days and I say you just gotta try to push the limits on on the tools that you have and and uh find a good editor and a good colorist or train train one of your other friends to become a colorist or an editor. You know, it's just you you can actually finalize things. It's it's easy to go out and shoot stuff. I mean you can go out and shoot stuff every day, but getting it put together into something different or you know something that's attainable and something someone can watch that means something that's that's a lot harder i think and 
making stuff that's worth watching. Do you have a go-to colorist that you like to work with? I got a couple. Yeah, I got a couple here in Stockholm um, that we like to work with a lot. And one of them has traveled with me quite a bit. Uh, I found him with the future work I've done in the States. And he does a lot of our commercial stuff here in Stockholm. And, and we've been friends for a really long time. Have so it definitely helps to have good relationships in, in, uh, in those positions and posts and editors and colors and stuff for sure. Can you can you see that, that um, you know, sometimes it's that last 1% that brings it to the, you know, the final, the, to the finish line. Oh, absolutely. Are, are, I mean, were you, were you it, able to see that in a colorist? Cause you, you know, we think we're decent colorists, right? Oh, we know what, but when you, when you've actually handled No, it I off, mean, when you, when you watch someone who knows how to work resolve or, or a Nakoda or something like that, it's, it is pretty phenomenal what they can pull out of the camera negatives these days. I mean, you'll, I usually dislike most things I shoot. Like I just, I feel it looks, doesn't look good. Like I, I'm very critical that way. And um, until I get to the edit or the grade, and then you see it come together, like okay, wow, it actually did work. That, that looks really nice. But for the most part, I'm always trying to make it better when I'm on set because I've I've never been one that says we'll fix that in post. Um, I don't like that approach because I think it opens up for a whole lot of other problems. But you can fix a lot in post these days, and um, I forget that sometimes, and I'll I'll come become critical on set and try to push something further just to make it a little bit better. But then you get to the uh, the edit and the, the coloring, and and those super easy to fix, and you know it does become an issue. But but watching someone who knows resolve and has a panel do their magic is is pretty awesome. It's very fun to see it come together that way. Do you tend to make a LUT per project? LUTs are great. Um, the last thing I shot in the States, which you helped me with as well for a few days, which was really fun. Um, the interesting thing there is we had a very dark LUT. And I think it actually really saved us in the end because I was constantly exposing brighter than what we were looking at the monitors because it was, we had like 40 days of night or whatever it was, 35 days of night shooting in the woods and there was like no ambience whatsoever. So having that extra stop in the negative really helped in post, I think. And we were able to bring it down and it was a very clean images. Even though on set when we were shooting, like, wow, this might be a little bit too dark. But um, it was just because the LUT was a little bit darker. So we had like an extra, an entire extra step there. But if you do the reverse and you have a very bright LUT and you're constantly like bringing it down because you see it looks too bright, then it could be, you could be hurting your negative instead. So you got to be careful of that. But um, I try to always shoot with LUTs. I, I think it's really fun to have a look uh, when you're working because no one wants to look at a log image. It's very uninspiring. So, um, yeah, I have in, in my monitors I carry with me, I have like 30 or 40 LUTs that I, I always have with me. And there's a few that I always go to. I, I really like the uh, the Fuji LUTs that are actually that come with uh, the Adobe a premiere package that's like built into the, the editing program so i've taken those out of the editing program put them into my monitors because i think they have like a nice finale to them with like a little bit warmer uh, highlights and a little bit greener bluish shadows and stuff and the aesthetic speaks to me so i've i've used that quite a bit there's definitely a fuji look if you've ever used the xt2 or or or, or above there i and I don't know if it's uh, true or not. It's just how their bear pattern is set. It's slightly different that it looks, there's that look you can, you can say, man, that's a really distinguished uh, look, which is an, another thing that can kind of help what's going on. Um, 
That's right. Yeah, I, I love the Fuji cameras, and they have a great color in them, for sure. As far as Batibet, uh, or uh, tell me when that's going to be released, and uh, what other projects you're working on. Batibet, Batibet was a really fun project. Um, I've known Aaron Mack, who was the executive producer on that for many years now, and we always have a great time. We work together, and um, it was really thanks to him that that project is is still going. Um, as far as it being released, I don't know when it's coming out. I know it has finally been finished, the post work. Uh, I've seen uh, the latest grade and cut, and it looks awesome. The trailers are looking really, really nice. And now it's, you know, we've gotten to that part where it's, um, it's all about distribution, which is the toughest part in the industry, I think. I mean, it's, now we have to find a channel for it. But um, I think it looks awesome, and, and uh, I'm very positive. I think it'll, it'll find its place, and I think we'll see it pretty soon, I hope. Anything else on the uh, launch pad? Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we are in development right now in Sweden for our company's first uh, feature, actually. We're in pre-production right now, um, hoping to shoot within the next year. Uh, it's also a bit of a horror film. Um, it takes place in the, the 1800s during, uh, during a famine in Sweden, uh, which actually took place during the 1800s. This is when a lot of people left and they went to America, actually. Uh, because really what happened was that the, uh, the snow didn't melt until uh, about June. So they weren't able to plant any crops. And then uh, winter came again at the end of August. So the growing season was, was too short. It was impossible. So... The other country is starving, so that's kind of the backdrop to our film. And um, it takes takes another route with a family and a house out in the woods, and uh, we're super excited to be uh, putting together our own our own project. And we've been working for the last couple of years on the script, and we're we're almost to the point where we're ready to pull the trigger on it. So it's very exciting. So I'll have to say that my experience with you on set was uh, was amazing. Uh, not only were you uh, very skilled and very organized, but you kept her cool <laughs> under really what I thought were ridiculous circumstances. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, technical as well as weather, as well as crew and all that fun stuff, but that's kind of what makes a movie. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on Roy. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, it's being on set is really, it's just a privilege, you know, it's, it's, you can't complain and there's always going to be, um, you always have stuff going, being tough or going stuff that happens that goes wrong and this and that. And it's, you know, it's, it's, you have a crew and you have a team and you have this vision they're all working to get towards together. And it's, it's fun, man. You just, you gotta love it. And if you don't love it, then you should do something else because it's, it'll all look the best when you love it the most and you're having the most fun with the people around you. And, uh, shooting body bat with all the guys in Columbus when you were there as well. We had, we had a great time and it was, it was challenging. You know, it was very challenging. We were working with rain machines and late nights and, you know, long days and there's a lot of crazy stuff, but I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun and uh, I look forward to the next one for sure. Well, thanks for coming on Roy. I really appreciate it. Thanks James. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you very much, Roy. In the next coming weeks, we have several guests I'm looking forward to bringing to you. Um, And also, in the meantime, just try to stay healthy and remember to follow the rules of washing your hands and keeping away from your face and 
still find inspiration and uh, maybe reignite your passion and appreciate when this blows over on hitting it as hard as you can to excel and improve the art. I look forward to bringing you our guests in the next coming weeks. Thank you very much.